welcome to the In Between Fantasy Football Podcast with your host, Seth Wolkoff. All right, welcome into the In Between Fantasy Football Podcast, episode six. We're getting you locked and loaded for week five of the fantasy football regular season. I'm your host, as always, Seth Wilcock. You can find me on the Twitter bird at DFF underscore Seth W. We got a great show for you today, folks. We have CBS NFL writer Cody Benjamin join us for some Around the League just in a few minutes here. I got a brand new start sitting Seth column. Got some starts for you we're going to throw out there, some sits for you, and a little bit of homecoming traditions coming your way. And we're going to round out the show with some In the Scope. It's been an awesome season so far. Thank you to all the support out there. I appreciate it. And let's jump into some Around the League. All around the world. IUP family. Are you tired of the same old pizzerias in town? Well, we got you covered. Villa 2 is a pizzeria in Indiana that meets bakery. You can experience the best of both worlds, a relaxed, family-owned eatery offering sweet, thin-crust pizza, traditional villa pizza, wings, burgers, salads, and so much more. They also have desserts provided by Market Street Pastries in Blairsville. Check them out today for all your pizza and pastry needs. That's Villa 2, located at 720 Philadelphia Street in Indiana. Dine in, take out, or get your order delivered today by calling 724-465-2002. Again, that's Villa 2 at 724-465-2002. And we're back on the In Between Fantasy Football podcast. Today for Around the League, I am joined by CBS NFL writer and former editor-in-chief of the pen, Cody Benjamin. Cody, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Seth. Thanks a lot for having me on. Absolutely. How has it been covering the NFL this season? A lot of fun. I mean, I I know you like football too, so you understand that there's a, a lot of excitement um, when fall rolls around. And I mean, that's been the case for me uh, long before I started writing about it. Um, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, the pen really, they know how to churn out uh, good writers and hopefully I, you know, I consider myself among them. And I think it's been um, it's been really fun doing the NFL, mainly because um, if I wasn't doing it for a job, I mean, I think I would be doing it in some form just for fun. And so um, every Sunday, I mean, the, the season moves quickly, but it's just a, a lot of fun to be able to, to lend your voice to the stories that happen throughout the season. Absolutely, man. It's been kind of a crazy season with a lot of off the field issues going into the season, the AB drama, holdout situations, but it's kind of also been just a super fun season, kind of seeing some new stars emerge. And yeah, I'm super excited to jump on in here. So why don't we start with the Thursday night football game where the Eagles outlasted Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 34-27. to I know you're a lifelong Eagles fan. So Cody, what can you tell us about this backfield situation 
it kind of came into it. Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders were splitting touches, what it seemed like. Darren Sproles working him in on passing situations. But Howard went off in this one. He's now RB19 on the season. He went 15 for 87 and two rushing TDs, added three receptions, 28 yards, and another TD through the air. What does this backfield look like moving forward here in Philadelphia? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of, you know, around the NFL, I think a dilemma with running backs is, you know, unless you have, um, you know, one of those top three, four, five backs, I mean, the dilemma is it's a committee. And that's the same in Philadelphia, I think. Um, if you just look at the the recent history of Doug Peterson as the head coach, um, I know he he often points to Deuce Daly, the running backs coach, as being in charge of the rotation. Um, but really, it, whatever whoever's in charge of it, the fact of the matter is they don't necessarily have a workhorse guy. And it, year in year out, there's been a new starting running back um, in Philadelphia. I mean. Uh, Wendell Smallwood a few years ago led the team in rushing yards. Josh Adams last year, not even on the team. Um, LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi, Ryan Matthews, believe it or not, was with the Eagles. Um, Doug Peterson's first year. So it, that's how it's been, and I think that's how it's going to continue to be. Um, but you mentioned Thursday night. I think that showed that um, they can trust Jordan Howard um, to kind of carry them a little bit. And then you've got a more explosive guy in Miles Sanders who can – kind of be that change of pace back. I, I think that his performance, um, you know, almost 90 yards, obviously I don't expect him to get three touchdowns every week, but I think, you know, take away a score or two there, and I think you're right about where his peak is. Um, you know, I could see him getting 20-plus carries a few games, and I think that might be smart, but I also wouldn't bank on it. I mean, I think Jordan Howard is a guy that would be nice to have on your bench now that he's shown he can operate in this offense, but – Again, this is a backfield that is, is going to be rotated. So you're forecasting maybe a Miles Sanders game here somewhere in the future as well, possibly. I thought it was interesting to see Jordan Howard, a guy who's not known for his pass-catching capabilities, to have three receptions. Do you have any intel on that, or do you think that was just a little bit of game script there, a little bit of Carson Wentz utilizing what he had on the field? Yeah, I think uh, the latter more so. I mean, they worked with Jordan Howard over the offseason. I mean, he wants to be better uh, at catching the ball. I mean, that was a knock. You know, when he left Chicago, um, you know, Tariq Cohen obviously took over kind of the main, uh, I guess, playmaking role there. Um, and so he worked on it in the offseason. But, I mean, Jordan Howard is just not – that's just not his skill set. I mean – um, you can hit him on, on a screen or two, but I think you know there was one example in Thursday night's game where there was a quick slant uh, that Carson went through, and that's something that a Darren Sproles is going to make you know, nine times out of ten, but he dropped it, Jordan Howard. And so, um, yeah, again, I mean, I think his, his rushing uh, ceiling is probably around what he hit on Thursday night, and I certainly, you know, if there's one thing I would project with him, it's not that – I just don't see them getting him too involved in the passing game. They've got so many other mouths to feed on that offense um, that it's just not that likely. So also during that game, the Eagles secondary was kind of dismantled once again this season, this time by Rodgers, who by far had his best game of the season, 25.5 fantasy points. Do you see every QB playing the Eagles here on out and also probably their pass catchers getting a tick up because of this poor Eagle secondary. We saw some more of their secondary go out towards the end of this game as well. Or do you think this was just a Thursday night on a short week type of game? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, 
out of all the sure things uh, that you could, you know, I guess bet on in fantasy this year, I think it is that um, if you've got a quarterback or a wide receiver, especially a, a number one wide receiver going up against the Eagles, I mean, play them uh, if any way you can play them, because I think, um, I mean, they are, they are down right now, uh, unless Sidney Jones, who was limited today in practice, unless he's good to go. I mean, they have three healthy cornerbacks on their roster and one of those guys has played, I think it's something like three or four snaps with the team this year, just came in at the very end of the Thursday night game. Um, so, I mean, the, the bodies just aren't there right now. And even if they were, I mean, they've been susceptible to deep balls and dating back to, like, I think the beginning of last year, even maybe before that. Um, if you look at the numbers of the number one wide receivers they go up against a team, you know, number one wide receivers are supposed to produce but they have really produced against the Eagles secondary. I mean, whether it's Julio Jones, um, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, we saw Devontae Adams. I mean, if he wouldn't have gotten hurt on Thursday night, I mean, I think he pushes probably 15 catches in that game. Um, and so, yeah, I would say start them. I mean, I, I do think there's going to be some um, positive regression, if that's the right way to say it, for the Eagles in, in terms of turnovers. Uh, but still, I mean, if you have a quarterback – um, even if it's an, a relatively unknown guy. I mean, they tend to do well against the secondary, and I think that will continue to be the case. Certainly. I want to go to Pittsburgh here. It was a fun Monday night game for us over here in Western PA. The Steelers unveiled a new-look offense. James Conner delivered 26.5 fantasy points on the night for him as well. And then Jalen Samuels, a guy that I had on my love list coming into the season along with James Conner because I saw this type of offense they were running down in training camp when they got closer to the goal line mainly, but that was when Big Ben was in play as well. But they both delivered on the night. It was a lot of direct snaps to Samuel, uh, some tap passes, if you would, to Connor coming around on the jet sweep there. Cody, do you think this type of offense is sustainable for the Steelers and the backfield moving forward, or do you think this was just taking advantage of a bad Bengals team who struggled against the RB this season? Well, early on in, in the game, you know, I was skeptical of whether it would work against the Bengals. And, I mean, they proved me wrong. They, they continued to do it throughout the game, and it worked, and it was smart. Um, but, no, I mean, to, to be honest, I don't think it's very sustainable, at least in that form. I mean, I don't know that you – know, I, I don't believe that they're going to roll that out exactly against Baltimore, um, if at all, um, let alone, you know, the rest of the season. I just think – um, with the Steelers right now, I mean, I think we've seen, I mean, even before Big Ben went out, I mean, this is a defense that has some young promising pieces, especially um, up front. Uh, I think their defense is going to keep them in most games, um, regardless of who's playing quarterback. And we know Mason Rudolph, I mean, he, he's looked very confident. He's looked very poised in the pocket. But I think the question really is with the Steelers for the entire season, I mean, we can say the defense will keep them in every single game, but when it comes down to the wire, um, is the offense going to be able to deliver? And I don't think they're going to be able to do that um, you know, more than half uh, the time with an offense that's running you know, wildcat plays. Um, so, yeah, I think at some point Mason Rudolph's going to have to be asked to do more. I think he will. Um, but really, how he responds to that uh, challenge, I think, is the difference between whether they're uh, finishing just below 500 or whether they're, you know, trying to sneak into the playoffs. 
it was definitely an interesting game, I think, for the pass catchers here in Pittsburgh as well. Juju Smith with a a worse game than he's had all season. James Washington is a no factor at all, which many people didn't see with them being college teammates there. And Deontay Johnson had another busted coverage for a long TD. So I'm not too big on these Pittsburgh pass catchers moving forward. I don't know if you are either. And where do you kind of rank James Conner and Jalen Samuels moving forward here the rest of the year? Do you think Conner's still an RB1 or would you put him as a higher end RB2? Yeah, I mean, I'd probably lean towards uh, RB2, mainly because of just um, the injuries. I know, you know, he sat out Wednesday's practice, and that might have just been, you know, a midweek rest kind of thing. But he, he caught up a little bit gingerly against Cincinnati. Um, he, he's been nicked up before. Um, you know, obviously, there's been struggles there, um, and, and they're trying to get him going. I do think he will um, improve as the season goes on, but I, I don't know that it's there's a, there's been enough there right now to say he's an RB one, um, with Jalen Samuels. I mean, that was good on you to, I think, project, um, I guess his, his versatility, his utility role in the Steelers offense. And I think everyone saw that potential, but to actually see it delivered, um, against, uh, the Bengals was, was promising. Um, I still think, you know, obviously we have a ways to go before we can slot him into, um, a starting lineup comfortably, but, yeah, with, with it's kind of a wait and see approach with a lot of the people, uh, the players on the Steelers' offense, specifically the pass catchers too. I mean, Deontay um, Johnson, I think um, you know the fact that he's got that deep speed is is good. I mean, he's getting targets too. I think he'll continue to get big play opportunities, but still a guy you probably want to stash rather than start at this point. So staying in the AFC North here, the Browns' offense exploded on Sunday against a Ravens team that seemed much more buckled up throughout the beginning part of the season. They're 2-2. Browns take over the division lead after this one. Nick Chubb, he went crazy, 20 for 165 and three TDs on the ground, as well as adding three receptions for 35 yards in the air. OBJ, on the other hand, he did not deliver for his owners two receptions, 20 yards, only less than five points on the game for him. But Baker Mayfield, he was kind of the story of this one as well with Chubb. He looked the best he's looked all season long. Cody, do you see the Browns being this type of team, this kind of threat moving forward? Or do you think this was taking advantage of a Ravens team who's had to go through Patrick Mahomes already? I think uh, at, at the risk of sounding like um, you know taking the cop out here, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that coming into the season, I mean, the hype just got so um, lofty for the Browns coming into this year that it was going to be hard for them to live up to that. Um, but at the same time, um, I don't think they're nearly as bad as they were, for instance, when they came out in the opener and got blown out, embarrassed by the Titans. I mean, I think they are... Um, somewhere in the middle between what we saw against Baltimore and what we saw against Tennessee. And I think that can still be a playoff team, especially in that division, which is is pretty wide open. Um, as far as Nick Chubb goes, um, you know, looking forward, I think I, I wouldn't go so far to say that, you know, he has to break out like he did against Baltimore for them to succeed. But I, I do think it's very important because um, just the state of their offensive line um, is is not – um, it hasn't been consistent, and so for Baker Mayfield to have that that guy to lean on, I think that's very important. 
Yeah, we saw Baker doing a lot of rolling to the right two weeks ago against the Rams. Uh, AB actually called him out on Twitter last week for it as well. So I think maybe he's trying to protect himself in that manner, handing off to Chubb a little more. And it seems like he's having more success when he throws quickly after the snap rather than holding it, trying to let OBJ get downfield a little bit. Jarvis Landry had a nice game as well, 24.6 points for him on the day. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what the Browns' offense can do moving forward. I think their defense, again, like the Steelers, has a lot of young playmakers, can keep them in these games. But coming into the season, I haven't been a big OBJ fan throughout his career, but I thought maybe with Baker that maybe they could get something going. So it'll be fun to watch for the rest of the season how that plays out. Yeah, Yeah, and and about... OBJ. I mean, I was curious too, um, and, and you mentioned, you know, kind of a bad game for him, a slow start. And I was curious because even watching him too, you know, I have him on a few uh, fantasy teams. And so I think, um, you know, if you're asking whether it's concerning um, about his slow start, I mean, I would say it's actually just a little bit more frustrating than actually concerning because, um, you know, before the show, I, I took a, a little bit of a, a look at his numbers from the first four games uh, throughout his career, and I was a little bit surprised. Um, so if we just look at the first four games, so in 2014, he had 18 catches for 262 yards. The next year, he had 24 catches for 307 yards. The next year, 22 catches for 303 yards. The next year, 25 catches for 302 yards. Last year, 31 catches for 331 yards. And so far this year, he's had 21 catches for 308 yards. I mean, that, if you stack those up, I know it's a lot of numbers to follow. But if you, if you look at those, I mean, the first four games this year, they're really not all that different from how he started the last four years. Um, and so I think um, there was just so much hype coming into him being traded to Cleveland. You know, this connection with Baker Mayfield, you expect him to drop 100 yards a game. Um, and so, yes, it's been frustrating, but I think it's not to the point of concerning yet. And I think as the season goes on, they'll have better chemistry. Um, and I think we'll see more targets going his way. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that. OBJ is a fun player to watch. Cleveland's kind of just a fun team to follow a little bit this season. So we'll see how that plays out. Moving along here, sticking in the AFC the Patriots defense, Cody, they have been outstanding this season. Maybe one of the best defenses I've seen in a few years. Uh, they let their first touchdown to the Bills this weekend. Josh Allen had to give it all he had, though, to get that one done. So the Patriots have actually scored the most fantasy points by a defense since the 96 Packers. Cody, do you see this being a product of a soft schedule and those type of games early on here? Or are you seeing a Patriots defense that has kind of been built to carry Tom Brady a little bit through his older age now? Well, I think we have to give some credit to the Patriots. I mean, they've assembled a a good um, playmaking defense um, and they've done it with some names that a lot of us, you know, casual fans wouldn't recognize. Um, you know, I know Chase Winovich, a guy they drafted this year, has a few sacks for them. But they've, you know, if you look at the guys that are actually making plays on their team outside of a Jamie Collins or a Devin McCourty, I mean, these are some names that, you know, a casual fan wouldn't pick up on. And, and they work together as a whole. I think we have to give credit there. But if you're asking, you know, where is this success coming from, this historic uh, fantasy scoring? 
I do think it's absolutely a product of their schedule, or at least a, that's a huge contributor. Um, I mean, Steelers week one, you know, we've seen this offense. Um, yeah, they're just they're searching for playmakers in Pittsburgh. The wide receiver core, kind of a mess. I mean, we know now that the Steelers offense probably is a little bit closer to the one that scored three points um, at the beginning of September than the one we've seen in years past with all their weapons. Week two, the Dolphins. I mean, one of the worst teams we've seen for a while, um, and the statistics show that. Um, the Jets, nothing there. The Bills, I mean, Josh Allen, I, I know you said he put up a fight, but you know Buffalo has been prone to turnovers as well. And then if you look forward, they play Washington this week. I mean, you can't get much better than that to pad your stats. The week after that, they play the Giants. I know Daniel Jones has looked good, but still a rookie quarterback. I think they're going to scheme him up a little bit. The week after that, you get the Jets again. So, um, you know, the schedule does get tougher down the road, but it, it is absolutely helping them. And, you know, you can't ask for much more if you're knowing. Yeah, Stephon Gilmore's kind of looked like, personally, I think one of the best corners in the league this season. But, Again, he's going against the Sam Darnolds, uh, a big Ben Roethlisberger who did not look himself in week one, and just quarterbacks, offenses that are not built to last when we get down here in January. So it will be fun to see how that kind of plays out for New England there. Do you have any interest if you've been streaming defenses in maybe giving up, let's say, an RB4, a wide receiver three to maybe obtain these Patriots defenses, or are you under the impression I'm never trading for a defense in fantasy. Um, you know, they're not. It's certainly not um, the position that I'm looking for uh, when you're going for a trade. And I think you know, there's merit to that. I mean, we we know why. I mean, it, it's a very volatile, um, you know, position. I mean, just because of so many factors that contribute. It's not one player, you know, making catches and stuff. It's the entire unit. Um, but uh, I think uh, that's tough because if you look at the schedule, I mean, they're going to play some decent offenses. I mean, after that, those next three games that are kind of the cakewalk, um, you've got the Browns, the Ravens, the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Texans, the Chiefs. And then you finish with three more kind of easy ones, uh, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins. Uh, you know, the bulk of that schedule, I think, is going to give them a little bit of a run for their money. So if you're going to trade for him, I, like you said, I think the you know where you want to target is like an RB four. I mean, a wide receiver three, you know, depending on what league you're in, that that could be a pretty valuable spot. So I don't know that I'd go that high, but I mean, if you got a player on the bench, if you can, you know, maybe get a little value from another player, make it a, a multi-player deal, um, maybe then. But you just got to be mindful of the schedule. Yeah, I'm always one of those guys who's kind of targeting those players no one else is. Last year, I made a trade for Bears defense. About halfway through the season, Peyton Barber kind of helped me solidify my team heading in the playoffs. I eventually lost in the championship, so didn't prove out to be an effective strategy. But Well, it got you there, though. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... I want to jump into some quick buyer sells for you, Cody. I want to start in Los Angeles. Austin Eckler, he's RB2 on the season so far. We know Melvin Gordon is back. If you're an Austin Eckler owner, are you selling him as fast as you can after another great performance here in week four, or are you just along for the ride? 
Yeah, great question. I think that the easy answer here is that you're selling because, I mean, when Melvin Gordon comes back, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, on social media, some fretting about, um, oh, no, like my Austin Eckler stock has gone way down the tubes. Um, I think it is correct that there isn't probably a better time to sell him. Um, but I am an Austin Eckler owner. I mean, I drafted him knowing um, that he was going to be part of the offense. And I drafted him knowing that Melvin Gordon was going to be there. And for that reason, um, you know, I didn't expect Melvin Gordon's holdout. And so for that reason, I think he's worth hanging on to. Um, last year, even when Melvin Gordon was around, I mean, this guy, he got targets in the passing game. So I think um, not necessarily an RB2, but a guy that's going to get pass catches or pass catching targets throughout the season. Here's another one for you. Big Montana, Will Disley. He's tight end six for the season for the Seahawks. He's kind of exploded again here early on after a great beginning of the regular season last year that ended with a place on the IR. What do you see from Will Disley? Are you selling high on the Disley guy, or are you just kind of keeping him around as tight end is a pretty shallow position nowadays? Yeah, that's. I think that's the biggest reason why you want to keep him, um, because you know I don't. It is hard to find tight ends, um, even even the big names. Sometimes I mean they're not. Uh, you know, a guy like Zach Ertz. Um, what, things change so much in the passing game, depending on the receiving cores that's around him. So, um, with Will Disley, I think one of the main reasons you want to keep him too is just the the style that Seattle's offense is. I mean, they are a mostly ground and pound style. And I think that that benefits him. Um, you know, when they get to the red zone, run a play action, that's a guy that's going to get targets. Um, Russell Wilson has targeted him a lot. When you've got a, an inexperienced or, or a developing receiver like DK Metcalf that's getting starts, I think that's even more reason to look his way. Um, he flashed a lot uh, last year before getting hurt. Um, and so I, I think he's, he's going to take it to the next level throughout the season. Nick Vanette was also traded last week to the Steelers for a fifth-round pick, so I think that, again, kind of just goes in the favor of Disley and the confidence that Pete Carroll and that coaching staff have with him. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's just, uh, it's it's very hard. I mean, with Seattle, it's hard. I mean, outside of, you know, Tyler Lockett, um, their pass-catching options, I mean, are really pretty limited. Um, and Russell Wilson is having a fantastic season, so... Um, if you're looking for a, a, a you know, a pass catcher to pair with a guy who's on fire this season, I mean, you look to Seattle. Um, if it's not Tyler Lockett, I think it's Will Disley. Certainly, certainly. So sticking with some tight ends here, Austin Hooper, the Atlanta tight end, he's tight end two on the season after another huge performance there on Sunday. Cody, do you see Austin Hooper delivering this type of production going forward? Yeah, um, a couple of factors with Austin Hooper. Um, first of all, I think the Falcons are not a very good team. Um, I mean, the, the, the record, obviously, it's easy to say that now. But, you know, I, I don't think they're that great of a team. And so because of that, I do think Matt Ryan's going to continue to pass the ball a lot um, if they're behind in situations. So that's going to get him targets. But at the same time, um, I, I think Calvin Ridley is still uh, – there's still room for him to improve um, this season. I mean, he flashed a lot. In a few uh, performances last year, I, I, I think he's kind of underperformed a little bit this year. Um, so when he emerges, and I think that he will, I think that's going to steal um, some momentum, I guess, from the Hooper train. And I think 
uh, out of the, all these guys, I got to say sell for someone. So if, if you're going to do it, um, I'd go with Austin Hooper probably over Will Disley, even though, you know, Atlanta is more of a passing attack. You're getting off the, at the station, man. Getting off the station on the Hooper train. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I, I actually, I drafted him with like one of my final picks in, in one of the leagues that I'm in. And I ended up trading him as kind of a, a throwaway in a deal. And I realized now maybe I shouldn't have done that early in the season. Um, but, you know, that's that's the gamble you take with, with kind of these uh, low-risk, high-reward guys. Absolutely. Well, Cody, thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time we have today on Around the League. We're going to be back right after a quick word from our sponsor with some start sitting, Seth. Thanks for joining us, Cody. Have a great night, man. Hey, thanks a lot. appreciate you having me on. Start, Sit, and Seth is presented by Philadelphia Square Apartments. Philadelphia Square Apartments believes that the key to success is in a good night's sleep. That's why all of their apartments come furnished with full-size beds. And after a good night's sleep in your full-size bed, why don't you wake up and take advantage of your large kitchen and cook yourself a nice breakfast? Not only will you save money from skipping out on takeout, but you can learn to cook. Do yourself a favor and give Philly Square Apartments a call today at 724-349-0462. Again, that's Philadelphia Square Apartments in Indiana at 724-349-0462. Start, sit, and set. All right, all right, all right. We got a brand new Start Sitting Seth column for you, as always, at thepen.org. So make sure you check that out. This one's entitled Start Sit and Homecoming. Basically, throughout this column, I just kind of talk a little bit about IUP Homecoming with it being Homecoming Weekend coming up here. And like Homecoming, fantasy football isn't exactly the same as it used to be, but that doesn't mean we don't continue to play it. Aside from constantly adding and subtracting some new players, new trends, strategies that we get every single season, uh, it all kind of accounts for the last-minute wins, painful defeats, and what kind of really keeps us playing fantasy football over the years. So without further ado, let's get to it. A quarterback I'd start this week. He's a bad man. This brother's on another level. I'm just trying to tell you something. Jacoby Brissett. Brissett, who stepped in as the Colts' starting quarterback back in August when Andrew Luck announced his shocking retirement. We talked about how we could see Brissett and the Colts doing pretty well this season because of that outstanding offensive line and the talent they've really put around initially for Luck, but now Brissett throughout the years. So, Brissett is now actually the only starting quarterback in the NFL who has multiple passing touchdowns in every game so far this season. He is going to be playing the Chiefs, and likely he'll be trailing in that game to Patrick Mahomes and that explosive offense, which should probably lead to a pass-heavy game script for Brissett, and he's going to have T.Y. Hilton back out there for him, it looks like, this weekend. So, I'm firing up Jacoby Brissett. It's a, it's a tough position right now with all the quarterbacks going down and just more seeming to go down each and every week Josh Allen Mitch Trubisky both went down there in week four so yeah Jacoby Brissett fire him up if you got him 
quarterback, I'd sit this week. So I'm gonna sit right here. I actually threw three of them out there for you this week. They're the replacement quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, New Orleans, and Jacksonville. Again, as we touched earlier, it's getting harder and harder to pick and start a quarterback and to for me to even choose a quarterback to bench because of the such a disparity at a once plenty full position. However, with that being said, you're going to want to stay clear of this new crop of quarterbacks. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago I was hyped up on Mason Rudolph a little bit, what he could do, maybe Teddy Bridgewater. Tom and I touched on that a couple weeks ago as well. But I think uh, I think you want to stay clear of Gardner Minshew as well. He's banged up facing a good Carolina front seven. Bridgewater is facing improved Tampa Bay defense. And as Cody and I touched on it earlier, Mason Rudolph, they're kind of making sure he doesn't make mistakes. And they're even subbing him out for Jalen Samuels to play some Wildcat quarterback as well. So right now, I think you need to go with those veteran quarterbacks even though there's not as many of them, and even though maybe your option is someone not as great like Andy Dalton, definitely look for those veteran guys this week and stay clear of those backup, now starter quarterbacks. So a running back I'd start this week. I used to play running back. I got another double dip for you. Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. So, fun fact here for you, Kyle Shanahan's undefeated 49ers team is currently 7th in the league in rushing yards. They're 7th in the league in rushing yards, and that's after playing one less game than everybody else. I think following their week 4 bye, Tevin Coleman is still a little banged up, fighting that ankle injury to get back, and they're, they're facing a Browns team that's actually allowed over 85 rushing yards per game, 5 receptions to opposing running backs as well. I think both Matt Breida and Colonel Muster should produce some solid RB2 fringe flex numbers there. So if you need an RB to fire up, you can't go wrong with these two RBs playing on Monday Night Football, baby. So running back, I'd sit. So I'm gonna sit right here. This might be shocking to some people. It's a little shocking that we've gotten to this point already. But Josh Jacobs, the rookie running back for the Oakland Raiders, I'm sitting this week. Coming into the season, Jacobs was drafted as a fringe RB1. But after an impressive week one debut, his snap share has been reduced in each of the last three weeks. He's a risky option this week, folks. Uh, You know the Chicago front seven as much as I do. Khalil Mack and that gang. I don't think I want any part of Josh Jacobs until I see it to believe it. I think there are just better options out there. You can check your waiver wire. Guys like Colonel Mustard might actually be out there that might be a better play this week than Josh Jacobs. A wide receiver I'd start this week. Cortland Sutton. This is actually one that kind of surprised me how well Cortland Sutton has performed, especially on a such a bad Denver Broncos team. I said coming into the season, I did expect Denver to play a little better than they are currently. But yeah, Cortland Sutton's been the guy. In a game where you expect Denver now without Bradley Chubb on defense to struggle to keep up and stop the Chargers, I think that... Joe Flacco is going to have to throw the ball to catch up, especially now. Chargers have Melvin Gordon back. They should be a little more explosive on offense, and 
I think now with Emmanuel Sanders a little banged up, actually there's some trade rumors going around for Sanders as well, so keep an eye on that. Maybe Sutton's a buy low before this week if you can get him. But he's currently wide receiver 15 on the season, and I think with Sanders banged up, chasing a Chargers offense, I think he's going to see a lot of targets this week. I think he's a great flex option and probably even a pretty good wide receiver too going into this week. So I want to round out my list here with a wide receiver I'd sit this week. So I'm going to sit right here. Geronimo Allison, Green Bay. Geronimo's a guy we touched on before the season as well. He was a popular sleeper, but after a poor week one and two, he was released in a lot of leagues, so he's probably out there on your waiver wire, or he was picked up earlier this week. And the reason he was probably picked up is because Devontae Adams, all-star receiver for the Green Bay Packers, is probably going to be out for this week. Adam Schefter reported that earlier on Monday Night Football this week. However, even though Allison is in line for some more targets, I think he's better left on your bench this week or even just on the waiver wire. He hasn't had more than four receptions in any game this season. He's dropped some balls, and he's facing a Dallas defense that, quite frankly, is better against the opposing wide receiver than people think. Right now, they're the fourth-best defense against opposing wide receivers, and I think more targets go to Aaron Jones. I think more targets go to Jimmy Graham. They're going to try to get MVS a little more involved. Listen, if you need a flex play, I'm not going to say don't play Geronimo, but I just think at this point in the season, I hope you have better options out there. And personally, I don't know if Geronimo is the guy to take up a roster spot just for maybe a one-week rental because he's probably going to be back to the same valueless player he was before Devontae Adams' injury. So that's it for Start, Sit, and Seth this week. Make sure you check that out on thepen.org. We're going to be right back to round out the show with some In the Scope. Stay with us. In the Scope. So this column, as we do every week, we kind of highlight some potential waiver wire targets, not for this week, but for the next week and for weeks coming up, because really you got to stay ahead of the pack here. While you could use your waiver claim every single week on the top guys that you're seeing in you know the major markets waiver wire columns it's better to kind of save up that fab save up to get to that top waiver position and go after some of those in the scope targets that you know will really set you apart from those other teams so i want to start here in san francisco and a guy we already talked about in this show that's raheem mostert uh, colonel mustard as they call him he's owning 29.8 percent leagues right now That's ESPN PPR leagues. Uh, Tevin Coleman, he's banged up still. He didn't practice on Monday. We haven't got the official report whether he will be active or not this weekend. And in week two, Mostert was actually RB3. The following week, he was RB43. And that was with Jeff Wilson Jr. vulturing four touchdowns on only 18 rushing attempts. I don't know if Coleman instantly comes back and gets that goal line work from Jeff Wilson Jr. Jeff Wilson Jr. is probably going to be back on the practice squad when Coleman comes back, or at least on the bench. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how Kyle Shanahan plays these running backs out. And I just think if you have a roster spot at the end of your bench that you don't really know what to do this week, I don't see what the problem is by rostering a guy in Raheem Moster who could come out of this week maybe being valued as an RB3 or 4 moving forward. 
it's a thin position. I think that Mostert, who's averaging 5.9 yards per carry this season, could keep it up against a Cleveland defense that has allowed over 4 yards per carry. So check him out. That's Raheem Mostert, Colonel Mustard, baby. Staying in San Francisco here, i got a wide receiver for you, the Rook, Debo Samuel. Debo Samuels between week 2 and 3 was actually wide receiver 30 on the season. Uh, nothing too crazy, but prior to that week 4 bye, it seemed that him and Jimmy Garoppolo getting some chemistry together, and he's talented. We saw him go higher in the draft, and we know this kid's a freak of nature. Right now, he has no top 10 defenses on the schedule for the next 3 weeks. So I think he could be a solid bye week fill-in, and I think he's really a guy that you can grab. I've seen him in some very competitive 12-team PPR leagues sitting out there on the waiver wire. So if you need a guy with some upside heading into Monday night, definitely grab Debo Samuels. So another in-the-scope candidate here, Preston Williams for the Miami Dolphins. Again, I don't know if you want to roster Williams through the bye Miami's on a week five bye right now, and I know nobody's really that excited at all about picking up a Miami wide receiver, but hear me out on this one. So Williams has not finished with any less than 8.6 fantasy points per game this season, and he's wide receiver 47 in PPR formats. I think Josh Rosen is starting to figure it out a little bit. We saw that last week against the Chargers. They scored a couple touchdowns, so that was encouraging to see. Williams could be the one Miami player that turns his pass-friendly game scripts into consistent fantasy production. So keep an eye out for Preston Williams. He's probably a guy you can maybe even grab after next week's waivers roll through. So yeah, it's Preston Williams, a wide receiver out of Miami. So every week I feel like on In the Scope, I talk about a Pittsburgh Steelers player and I always end up disappointed. But I think James Washington, he's the guy this week. James Washington, he's only owned in 39.1% of leagues right now. And you can't really blame the owners for dropping him. He was a he was a pretty deep sleeper for a lot of people, but then with Mason Rudolph coming in to start, we thought maybe they could relive some of that magic they had once down in Stillwater. And personally, I don't think it's too late for them to still do that. I think if you need a flyer at the end of your bench, that James Washington is still a guy who can maybe get it done. I know everyone's talking up Deontay Johnson right now, but over 54% of Johnson's fantasy points this season have come on two touchdowns with seemingly busted coverage. I'm not really buying the whole Deontay Johnson thing just yet. Maybe give me one more week of it and I'll kill the Washington thing. But again, if, if Washington's out there, he could be that sneaky pickup that you pick up and maybe you burn one of those owners that were a little too quick to get rid of him. So my final in the scope candidate for the week is going to be the Buffalo Bills defense. Again, this all kind of depends on your roster construction, but if you're willing to roster two defenses for a week, Bills will be on by next week after this week. So you're going to have to roster them, but they have a Miami game slated for week seven. That's a pretty juicy matchup as well as another one in week 11. Some easier opponents throughout there following their bye. And let's face it, this Buffalo Bills defense is legit. They held the Patriots to only 16 points last week. And I think right now, moving forward, that the Bills D is the only thing keeping them in games, especially with Josh Allen a little banged up. So Bills D, I think they could be someone who comes on here late in the year and you know 
gets you a couple solid wins. We've seen the Patriots defense do it time and time again so far this season. So why not the Bills? Just want to throw a couple distant targets out there to round out the show. These are guys you're probably not picking up still for a couple weeks, but just keep an eye on them. The first one's Dawson Knox. He's a tight end in Buffalo again. They're going on a bye following this week, so I'm not picking him up yet. But with tight end being such a desolate position right now, keep an eye on Dawson Knox. He's played well. He has 29.3 fantasy points per game. Uh, He's tight end 18 on the season as well. He's got some very favorable matchups on the horizon, Miami, Washington. And whether it's Josh Allen or Matt Barkley, I think they're going to look to try to get this guy involved. It'll be really exciting to see what he can do. Uh, If you're in a dynasty league and you have some room on your taxi squad, I picked him up a couple weeks ago, and I'm very happy I did. So, again, that's Dawson Knox, the rookie tight end in Buffalo, only owned in 3.7% of leagues. So another rookie tight end, you've probably heard of this one before, Noah Fant, the tight end in Denver. So it just so happened last week that Fant scored his first NFL touchdown on the same day that his former teammate, TJ Hawkinson, left with a very scary injury following that hurdle attempt. So I think that Fant could probably be a guy not as good as Hawkinson, not going to get the love. They don't have as high of an investment in Fant as the Lions do Hawkinson, but I think Fant, he has not had less than two receptions in a game. He's had at least 25 yards in a game, and I think that bodes well moving forward here. Again, we're not really sure Emmanuel Sanders' status so far, and he has some really nice matchups coming up for tight ends here. All bottom eight against the tight ends upcoming on the schedule. They got the Chargers, the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Colts. And so I think following that, the ceiling just gets higher for Noah Fant the rest of the way. Check him out as well. He should be on some free agency polls out there. So, yeah, that's all the time we have for In the Scope. And that's the end of our show today as well. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great season so far. We can't wait to get back in the studio next week after what we hope will be an exciting week five of the NFL season. My name's Seth Wolcock. You can follow me on Twitter at DFF underscore Seth W. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep it in between.